Lasting Love Podcast, presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love Podcast. My name is Roy Biancalana, and this is part two of the Dating Manifesto, the path to attracting or creating or experiencing a healthy, sustainable, intimate relationship. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, you really need to because I'm not going to lay the foundation again. I'm really not going to spend much time reviewing anything that we talked about already, except to say that what we are talking about here are 10 commitments that really embody what it means to relate consciously or mindfully. Now, in each one of these commitments, we are talking about the conscious way it is embodied or expressed or lived, but I'm also describing the conventional way the commitments are lived in our culture, in our society, in our world. And I'm comparing them and contrasting them, not to say one is right and one is wrong or one is good and one is evil. That's not. They're just different ways of being in the world. Although, not only me, but millions of people have discovered that the conscious approach just seems to work better. So I think one of the values of a conscious approach to living life um, is pragmatism. It's like what works, not what's right or wrong. That's in the realm, I think, of religion and dogma and doctrine and all of that stuff, um, which I find to be pretty arbitrary. You know, who's to say what's right and what's wrong? And I believe that Bible or that scripture is right. And but no, I believe this scripture is right. And you, you, you know, uh, those kinds of things create real battles and conflict. And right wrong discussions lead to drama. It's just you know. So I'm only suggesting these 10 commitments on the basis of pragmatism, like what works. So for instance, the first commitment that we talked about was responsibility. And you can either claim responsibility or you can blame your results or your experiences on someone else. And I'm just saying taking responsibility works better to create an amazing life than living a life that is built on blame and complaining and whining and playing the victim. I'm not saying blaming is bad or wrong. Um, and I'm not saying claiming responsibility is right or good. I'm just saying one works better than the other. That's all. And you can discover that for yourself. Go just live your life and 
and maybe you've done this. I know I've done this for decades. Just blame everybody for your problems. See how that works out for you. See if it creates intimacy. See if it creates change, transformation, progress. And then you can try claiming responsibility and then joining it with its sister commitment, commitment number two, which is curiosity, meaning I am claiming responsibility for my results, which leads to, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, right? Responsibility means life does not happen to me. It's happening by me. Well, if my results are happening by me, why in the world am I doing this to myself? That's curiosity. Try living that way and you tell me what happens. You're going to find real aha moments, real transformation, some real exciting things are going to happen in your life. That's my experience. Okay? So I just want to underscore that we're not talking about good or bad, right or wrong or any of that stuff. We're just talking about what works. And we're laying out these 10 commitments as like a manifesto on the basis of we can't control anybody else. All we can do is control the way we show up in the world. And so I'm looking to gather a tribe of people that want to say, damn it, this is the way I'm going to live. This is my manifesto. This is my declaration of independence. This is my I have a dream speech. This, this, is, this is it. These are the values and the commitments that are going to guide my life, right? And so we've talked about two. And now we're going to continue and jump into the third one. And I believe we're going to get through four of these. Okay, we're going to get through commitment number three, four, five, and six. So what is commitment number three? Well, commitment number three gets into feelings, gets into our emotional worlds, gets into how we handle uh, sort of our inner reality and so forth, right? And you know this is a huge contact point in your life and in your relationships. The way you experience your emotions, the way you experience someone else's emotions, um, I mean, emotional intelligence cannot be overstated when we're talking about relationships of any kind, but especially of the intimate kind, correct? I mean, if, if you don't know how to deal with your feelings, how to express them, how to share them, you know, how to feel them within yourself, you're going to create a lot of drama and disconnection from another person. And if you don't really know how to deal with somebody else's feelings, you know, whether they're mad at you or not, but if, if you don't, if you, if you don't know how to be the space for someone else to feel what they feel and to share that with you, communicate with that, with you, to be open with you about their experience, you're going to end up being single. Because emotions really are the contact point, aren't they? I mean, really, they, they really are the contact point. And yet most of us um, are not very emotionally intelligent. You know, most of us really didn't get much education about this kind of thing, right? I mean, 
When you were in school, did you have a, a course called emotions in grade school, in high school? <laughs> I didn't. How many of us around the dinner table had really deep conversations with our parents, with our siblings, about what it means to be emotionally intelligent? That <laughs> didn't happen around my dinner table. I mean, there were plenty of emotions shared, right? But there was not a conversation about what is the healthiest way to express emotions, have emotions. I mean, what is the way, how do, how do we, being emotional creatures, how can our emotional experience lead to greater harmony rather than division, greater understanding rather than drama, Right? Did you have classes in church or synagogue or mosque or wherever you went to when you were young teaching you about how to handle feelings and emotions? Probably not. Other than maybe if you're a Christian, you were taught anger is bad and, you know, sadness is good or something. But, but in terms of how do you feel your feelings? How do, how do you express them in a way that will help create connection rather than drama, right? So my guess is not many of the people listening to me have had a whole lot of training in this regard, and yet it is a huge issue, is it not? Okay? So I want to discuss this with you, but right off the bat here, I want to give you another resource Because I have done an entire podcast on emotional intelligence, okay? It is podcast number 13, and the title of it is, What to Do When You're an Emotional Wreck, okay? So it's like an hour-long podcast on this very topic. So if you feel like, man, this is a commitment that I need a little extra help in, You can always call me up and we can do coaching on this. It's so fun to work with clients that want to grow in understanding their emotions. You know, because we we can go one of two basic ways with this. Either we are repressors, right, where our feelings are just so uncomfortable and we feel so afraid of them or afraid to express them. We just repress them. We suppress them. We bury them, right? The other end of the extreme is we are expressors. (laughs) I have never had a feeling that I have not let everyone know that I am experiencing. (laughs) So if I'm angry, it's going to be all over you. If I'm sad, it's going to be all over you. So, you know, if I'm feeling it, it's coming out. And very often the expressive type of person creates their own kind of drama. Because they dump on people, and and it's it, it you know what I mean. It's just they're 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 just difficult because of the way they express. And of course, the repressor it creates his own kind of drama because they never talk about what they're really feeling. They don't want to even feel what they're really feeling, and you always feel like you can't like what's going on over there. I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. And you know they're not fine, but they don't. They, they don't have access to their feelings or they don't want to share them. So we really 
go on these extremes of repressing or expressing. Um, and so I did a whole podcast on like the healthy way of being with this stuff. So I just want to refer you to that. Um, the Attracting Lasting Love podcast number 13. Okay. But here's what I do want to say. Here's kind of like the, here's the commitment. Number three, we are going to either choose to feel our feelings or avoid them. That's what this commitment is. We are saying we're going to feel them or we're going to avoid them. So the conscious approach to feelings, the commitment is expressed this way. I commit to feeling my feelings all the way through to completion. They come and I locate them in my body. Then I breathe, move, and vocalize them so they release all the way through. That it. That is what it means to feel a feeling. That's not repressing it. That's not dumping it and expressing it and just letting somebody have it or venting of some kind. To feel a feeling means I'm going to feel them all the way through to completion, which means feelings have a life cycle. They come, we locate them in the body, and then what we do with these feelings is we breathe, we move, we vocalize, so they release all the way through. I'll say more about that in just a minute. But sort of the conventional way we deal with feelings, like the way pretty much everybody does, the way most of us have been taught, either purposefully or just kind of by accident, this is the way it sounds. I commit to withholding, avoiding, suppressing, judging, denying, or apologizing for my feelings. I commit to making them someone else's fault and someone else's responsibility to fix. Isn't that spot on about the conventional way we deal with feelings? <laughs> Isn't it? A feeling comes? No, no, no. I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to sit with it and locate it in my body. I'm going to feel where's the anger in my body? Where is the sadness? Where's the loneliness? Where is the boredom? Where do I feel stress in my body? And no, I'm not going to sit there for a couple of minutes and just breathe into that area just to give it space, give it love. I'm going to send breath to that part where I feel loneliness or boredom or stress or anger or sadness. And we don't say, I'm going to allow that feeling to move my body like I'm a puppet. Just let it have me physically. Let it express itself physically. And we say, no, I'm, I'm not going to allow that, that energy in my body to make sound. But in other words, we don't really want to feel the feeling and sort of allow the feeling to have the space in us to be released. We don't want to see a feeling as simply an energy moving in the body, which is what it is. 
It's just E motion. It's just energy in motion. When we see it just as energy, then we just know that energy just wants to release. It just wants to move. It, it's like a, holding a beach ball under the water. It just wants to come to the surface and be released. So really that is the conscious sort of approach is that it's just energy in my body and it wants to move through me to completion, which means I have to locate it, give it the space to release. And that happens when I just maybe sometimes take a breath and breathe with it. Sometimes emotions need to be physically moved like anger. You can beat on a pillow. You can scream in appropriate ways and places, of course. And sometimes you can just move your body and, and, and vocalize and, and so forth. These are ways of honoring a feeling. We're not suppressing it. We're not avoiding it. We're not running from it. We're feeling it. It's like a feeling comes in through the front door of our lives and we welcome it. Oh, welcome. Here you are. Here's anger. Here's boredom. Here's sadness. You're welcome here. And I want you to release right through me and go out the back door. You come in. I feel you. You enrich me. Sometimes you teach me. Sometimes you motivate me. Sometimes you wake me up. Wonderful. But I'm not going to hold on to you. I'm going to let you go right in the front door and right out the back door giving me your gift along the way. And the way we let them release is we breathe and we move and we vocalize. Okay? These are the healthy ways to deal with emotions. But <laughs> most of us, though, we might have, you know, we, we either lock the front door or the back door or we lock both doors. Right? Like, lock the front door means, no, no, um, I'm denying the feeling altogether. I'm judging the no, that's not good to feel that. I don't want to feel that. I don't feel that. Right? So you just won't let the feeling in, even though it already is. Right? Or you close the back door and you just suppress it. Or you apologize for your oh I'm so sorry I feel angry. I'm sorry I'm sad or I'm sorry I feel lonely or right. Most of us are embarrassed of our emotions. And where does that come from? Okay, yeah, probably from our childhoods. We maybe have grown up in environments that didn't support authentic, you know, authentic expression of emotion. You maybe you grew up in a household where it was okay to be sad but not angry, or okay to be scared but not sad, or something. Or you know what I mean? So we have these hang-ups around emotions, where certain emotions are more comfortable to us and other emotions are not. And so that's where we have this commitment to withholding or avoiding, suppressing, judging, denying, or apologizing for our feelings. Excuse me. And don't we make them someone else's fault? (laughs) Don't we say, you make me so angry. What you said hurt my feelings. Right? So we we have kind of a victim mentality about our feelings sometimes, don't we? We feel like feelings happen to me. 
You made me angry. You hurt my feelings. Huh. That is never true. Never is it true that a person can make you feel anything. I'm not saying that if someone says something hurtful or something really nasty, that it's not understandable that you would feel angry or hurt. I'm just saying they're not making you feel that way. You get to choose how you hear and respond to someone's words or actions. Do you get that? You live alone in there. You're the only one that lives in your house, (laughs) right? And someone can stand outside your front door and yell all they want, right? But you're the only one that can let them in. You have to allow someone to make you angry. You have to allow someone to hurt your feelings, right? But we don't do it. We don't see it that way, don't we? We we think our feelings are caused by someone else or something else or some circumstance. And because we think they're causing it, then we think it's someone else's responsibility to fix it. You need to apologize to me. Who hasn't said that phrase? Who hasn't said, you need to apologize for what you said to me. You hurt my feelings. Isn't that victim, right? Because you're not saying I have, you're not, if, if you were to say that I am choosing to have my feelings hurt because these things don't happen to me, but by me, then why would you have someone apologize to you? Because they're not doing it to you. You're choosing to be hurt. You're choosing to take them seriously. You're choosing to see someone's words, puffs of air that are coming out of their voice box. You're choosing to take it seriously. You're choosing to listen to it and and maybe to believe it. So these these are huge, huge ideas about feelings. To recognize Nobody can make you feel anything. Nobody can make you happy, right? Most of us get that. Oh, no, no, no one's responsible for my my happiness. I I know that that I'm responsible for my happiness. Well, if, if you're responsible for your happiness, if nobody can make you happy, then nobody can make you sad. If nobody can make you happy, nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you scared. You have to choose that. You have to interpret what's happening and what's being done and you have to decide to take it personally, to take it seriously, to allow it to hurt you. Now, again, I have total understanding if that's what you do because that's what I do a ton. I've had people say things to me that I have chosen to allow to hurt me. I have had people say things to me that I have chosen to feel angry about or sad about. Or scared about. Right? So I'm not saying it's not understandable. I'm not saying it's nearly impossible to not take things personally. I'm just saying we do have to choose to take it personally. 
right? If somebody rejects us in the dating scene or something like that, they say, Elliot, listen, I don't, I don't think there's a connection. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't really want to see you again or something like that. Um, they're just sharing their opinion that they don't feel there's a connection. It's really not about you. It's really about them. They don't feel a connection. It doesn't mean nobody will feel a connection for you. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're unlovable or anything like that. But there's a good chance that, that you take those words and you hurt yourself with them because you interpret them to mean something like that. When they don't mean that, they're just their words. Perhaps you remind them of an uncle or an aunt that they can't stand. And that's why they don't feel a connection with you, right? It's not personal. It's really about them. But it's understandable if you take rejection personally. I mean, I've done that. You've done that. It's understandable. But... The first step out of it is to recognize that nobody can make me feel something. I'm the only one that lives in here, and I get to decide what it's like in here. I live in my little one-bedroom apartment, and I get to decorate it, and I get it to pick the furniture and hang the pictures, and I cre- I, am an, I am responsible for what's going on inside of me. And when you really begin to get that and own that, that's one of the first steps to being really emotionally intelligent. Is that no one can make me feel anything. And really, no, it's not anybody's responsibility to fix my feelings. You, you have to apologize. You need to, I need you to tell me nice things about me. I need you to be encouraging to me. Right, because now you're 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 asking someone to fix you. You're asking someone to meet an emotional need of some kind. You follow me? So I'm going to stop right there and just leave it at that. With the commitment number three on feelings, it is a huge one. And again, uh, podcast number thirteen for more information. But I want to see if you're willing. To make a declaration, I commit to feeling my feelings all the way through to completion. And I commit to learning how to do that. They come and I locate them in my body and then I breathe, I move, I vocalize, so they release all the way through. That's the way I want to be with my emotions. I am done with withholding, avoiding, suppressing, judging, denying, or apologizing for my feelings. I am done with making them someone else's fault, and I am done having someone else have to take responsibility for fixing them. Right? That's my, like, that's my declaration. I'm done doing that. I'm not living that way anymore. And what that's going to mean is you're going to have to learn how to do it the conscious way. You're going to, you might need some training. Okay, we'll get back to that in a minute. Now, commitment number four talks about something else that's going on on the inside of you. And that's your, your truth, your inner truth. The commitment number four is called candor. And it's about choosing to reveal rather than conceal. Okay, now, if 
emotions are like the touch point of any relationship. Communication is its very lifeblood, <laughs> right? <laughs> because emotions have to be communicated. So if you're not able to communicate, then right, your your love life it's going to be ridiculous. How many couples have you heard they break up? We just we just can't communicate or something like that. There's a communication issue and some sort. So commitment number four is all about the way you talk, about what you say and about what you don't say. <laughs> okay? It's all about candor. So the commitment reads this way. It's about choosing to reveal rather than conceal. That's this commitment. When you take the dating manifesto and you, you're adopting this as your way of being in the world, what you are saying is I am, I am choosing to be a revealer rather than a concealer. That sounds, sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? That, I mean, it, that sounds pretty basic. I am, I'm going to reveal rather than conceal. Well, what happens when you're feeling something or wanting something or thinking something that you get the sense might not go over very well with the other person? Then are you a revealer? <laughs> I had a client not that long ago um, tell me a story about being at a, on, a, on a first date with the, just a great guy. He just... He checked all the boxes and he had four cocktails. And she's over there sitting there in her head thinking, oh boy, that's a lot. Is this guy an alcoholic? I mean, he's not even slurring his words. And is he good to drive home? I'm a little concerned about getting in a relationship with someone who might have a drinking problem. Do you reveal that? That's what this commitment means. This commitment means that you live out loud. That you reveal what's going on inside of you. That you do not play games. That you do not withhold anything. You don't share partial truths. And you don't allow the fear of what might happen control what you say and what you don't say. You just simply blurt. Without accusation, you just simply reveal. Like in that situation, my client, if they were committed to candor, if, if they are making the dating manifesto their declaration of this is how I want to be in the world, they would be sitting at that, at that dinner table and thinking to themselves, I don't care how he takes it. I don't care if he throws a drink in my face and walks out. I don't care if he gets down on his knees and bows in worship. I don't care. I am simply committed to being a revealer. And so she would take a breath and she would say, hey, so-and-so, over here in, let's call it Susieville, over here in Susieville, I'm saying, wow, you've had four drinks and I'm scaring myself, right? You're not scaring me. I'm scaring myself because I'm having thoughts about, do you have a drinking problem? 
Um, I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who has a drinking problem. And I wanted you to know that I feel concerned about this and I would like to have a conversation about the role of alcohol in your life. Because all of that is true. She is actually thinking that, right? So this commitment on communication is to reveal what you're actually thinking. If she wasn't thinking that, if she didn't have any problem with that, she had four cocktails herself, she might be thinking, oh, this guy's fun. He's just like me, right? Great. Then you could say that. I noticed you're drinking right along with me. This is going to be fun. I think we're, we have a lot of, you know, we both like to have a good time and get a little buzz and maybe get a big buzz, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's not like, I'm not, I'm not telling you what to say. Uh, this commitment is saying, what is your truth? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you wanting? And if it's true and if it's real, if it's happening inside of you, this commitment says that I'm committed to revealing it. I'm not going to keep any secrets. I call it dating naked. Nothing's covered up, relating naked, living naked, no withholds, no secrets, no half-truths, no lying, no misrepresenting. I'm just going to blurt what's happening inside of me. So here's how the commitment reads when you're doing it consciously. I commit to saying what is true for me. Revealing rather than concealing all facts, feelings, thoughts, wants, and things I imagine. And being a person to whom others can express themselves with candor too. So this commitment is, I'm just committed to saying what is true for me. And I'm also committed to being a person for whom others can say what is true about them to me. In other words, this commitment is to communicate and to listen. I want to be a revealer and I want to be someone who can be revealed too. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? Someone shares their feelings, we get defensive, we get argumentative, we take it personally, right? Then we have all these feelings come up and we blame them. We're not listening when we're doing that. We're not being a space for someone to reveal themselves to, our, to us. We're not letting someone else be naked in front of us because their truth might scare us, might challenge us, might worry us. Like in that same example, if the guy in the relationship was committed to candor, he would want to be the type of person to create an atmosphere where she would feel free to reveal herself to him. And when she said, I'm scaring myself about how much you're drinking, he would receive that non-defensively and really listen and ask for more. Is there more that you want to say? Tell me everything that's coming up in you. Show yourself to me. And he would be a, a safe space for her to Share every thought, every feeling, even things she's imagining. You know, stories she might be making up in her head about what it means to have four drinks. He would, he would want to be a space where she could come with that and he, he wouldn't cut her off. 
He wouldn't dismiss. He wouldn't judge her. So this commitment to like be a truth teller sounds pretty damn easy, doesn't it? <laughs> Until you really know what it means. This is one of the most challenging things in the world to do because it puts you at risk. Right? You get scared. If I reveal this, I might get judged or misunderstood or outright rejected. And because we're scared of that, we conceal in order to control. Right? We're trying to control the outcome. We're trying to control our image. We're trying to control how a person takes what we're saying. I have clients all the time get on the phone with me. Roy, I'm I'm dating this guy or I'm seeing this woman and I'm feeling this and I'm wondering about this and I'm kind of upset about this and this is really bugging me and I don't know what to make of this. What do you think is going on? Blah, 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 blah. How should I handle this? And my answer is just take that last 30 seconds of you telling me what's going on and what you're feeling and all the questions you're having. I wish I could have recorded that. Just take that and say it exactly to that person's face. Oh, no way. I could never do that. Um, I mean, could they would think I'm neurotic. They would think that I'm high maintenance. They would think I'm judgmental. They would think I'm a jerk. You know, oh, so what you're asking me is not really how to handle this. You're asking me, how do I control the other person's response? Isn't it true? You want to know how to say something that won't piss them off, even though you can't piss them off. But you know that they could choose to have that reaction or they get hurt or they end up walking away, right? So when a person asks me, Roy, how do I handle a situation? What they're really asking, how do I control this relationship? And of course, I won't answer that because I'm committed to candor. And I'm committed to coaching people who want to go down this path. If, if, you, if you want to learn how to play the game and manipulate and say certain things to get the response you want, you just got the wrong coach. I don't know how to do that. I couldn't begin to figure out how to manipulate somebody I've never met and don't know and blah, blah, blah. But I can tell you the simple way is just to reveal what's going on inside of you and see what happens. Okay? But most of us don't do that, right? Most of us have the commitment, I'm committed to withholding my truth and speaking in a way that allows me to avoid, control, or manipulate an outcome. And I commit to not listening to the other person. Right? I mean, that's... What is not listening? Defending. Explaining. Justifying. Usually not listening means you're talking. Someone shares something to you and you start talking. You're not listening. Even when they're even when they're talking, you're already in your head planning your response. So you're not really listening to what's being said. You're not really hearing the feelings being expressed. The you're not you're not seeing the body language. You're not feeling their gut wants. You're barely listening to the actual words because you're lost in your own head and your own reactivity. And so forth, right? Isn't that true? That's what happens with me. I'm pretty sure it happens with everybody. So this commitment number four is a big one. Now, 
it's such a big one that I've done three, a three-part podcast on communication. So again, at the Attracting Lasting Love podcast, which you're on right now, it's podcast number 20, 21, and 22. So if you want to go deeper, I'm going to refer you to that for more training. But this is probably as big a topic or the most frequently discussed topic that I ever engage in with my clients is this whole issue of communication, right? But in the end, it's very simple. It just comes down to your commitment. Am I committed to being a revealer or am I committed to being a concealer? And once you decide which way you want to go, then everything gets pretty easy from there. And again, concealing and withholding and trying to control and manipulate, I'm not saying that that's bad. That's what everybody does. I'm not saying it's bad or it's wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't create intimacy. It doesn't create a really healthy connection. I'm, I'm just saying pragmatically, what, what leads to better relationships is when people reveal the whole truth. When they share thoughts, feelings, even things they're imagining. When they reveal, that creates. Sometimes it leads to some trouble. If I reveal I'm having an affair to my wife, okay, so we're going to have some drama. We're going to have some trouble. But in the end, it's going to create a better outcome. Either we're going to be together and there's going to be no lying and hiding and we're going to reformat our relationship or it's going to end and we have the clarity of that. But if I'm withholding all that, we're not really in a relationship because I'm cheating, because I'm lying, because I'm withholding. You follow me? So I'm not saying being a revealer always leads to kumbaya. But it always, it always leads to greater understanding and eventually harmony. But when you play the game of concealing, you're never really in a relationship. You, I don't know what you're in, but it's not a relationship. All right. So again, I want you to follow up and, and look at uh, podcasts 20, 21, 22. Now, the fifth commitment um, and I don't have any extra podcasts on this one yet. I've talked about it a number of times in different ways. But commitment number five is called the story commitment or your mind. This is about the mind. It's about your thoughts. Okay? Commitment number five, we call it story. And the way it's read is the choice is either to choose to investigate our stories rather than interpret them or make them equal to reality. Have you noticed that when you don't know something, your mind will come up with an explanation? <laughs> Have you noticed that? If, if there's ever an empty space or an, you don't know something, like why isn't that person texting me back? Or why haven't they asked me out on another date yet? Have you noticed that your mind will give you an answer? You know, if you ask your mind a question, it will answer you. Now, here's the thing. It's answering according to its own bullshit. In other words, your mind will only answer questions 
by going into its data banks of its your own experience and then giving you an answer based upon your experience. In other words, your mind can't know what it doesn't know. Your mind can only answer from what it knows. And what your mind knows in the grand scheme is very, very little, right? I mean, you're just one individual among billions on the planet. And have you, you've had your little experiences and, and so forth. And all that is like data stored in your mind as a computer. That, that's the data that's in there. So when you ask your mind a question, it's going to give you an answer. But the answer is only going to come from your limited experience. And of course, your mind is going to think you're right. Because you're asking my mind something and I'm telling you, I know I'm right. Based upon the information that I have. But see, most of us think our minds know everything. Most of us think that we have access to all the wisdom and knowledge in the entire universe on some subject. Most of us think that we are um, psychic or somehow we know why a person isn't texting us or why a person hasn't asked us out or we know, you know what do they mean by that? They said some phrase, they asked some question, uh, and you're like, uh, what do they mean by that? Well, your mind is going to come up with an answer, and you're going to think you're right because the answer's coming from your own mind, and based upon your experience, you are right. But what if there's a lot of information beyond your mind? <laughs> what if there's some things you don't know? Like, what if you don't know that they're not texting you because their phone died or they dropped it on the ground and ran over it with their car? Or what if they're not asking you out because they like you so much that they don't want to come on too strong and maybe scare you off? Like, you don't know what a person's thinking. You don't know what they're feeling. You don't know why they're doing it. But your stupid mind doesn't see it that way. Your mind is going to give you an answer because your mind cannot stand not knowing. It can't stand an empty space. It's going to fill it with an opinion. It's going to fill it with a judgment. It's going to fill it with a story. It's going to make something up. Making something up is better than not knowing. Have you, have you recognized how scary it is to not know something? To just be in the emptiness of not knowing is terrifying to the mind. And the mind won't stand for it. It's going to give you an answer. It's going to make something up. And secondly, have you noticed how often, as you've then gone on and lived your life, have you noticed how often you found out later that your story was wrong? Haven't you noticed that that little advisor that lives in your head, I call him a relationship coach that lives you it lives in your head. And it's giving you all this relationship advice and telling you why a person's doing this and why they're doing that and what this means and what that means. And then you get to know them and you're and you're like, oh, uh, I was wrong about that. Uh, I mean, most of us don't even stop and recognize we were wrong about something. Like this person hasn't texted me back uh, and I don't think they like me. And then they text you, you know, the next day and they're like, oh my God, I got in a car accident and I broke my leg. 
you know, and I was thinking about you, but I, they wouldn't have they wouldn't let me have my phone in the uh, the emergency room, and this is the first chance I've got. You never stop in that moment and turn on yourself and say, "You're a fucking idiot." You made up this story that he wasn't into you and you made yourself miserable for 24 hours and it wasn't true. I'm never listening to you again. I am never going to take your damn advice on things I don't know. I'm just going to live with, I don't know. I don't know why it's not texting me. I don't know why they haven't called me yet. I don't know why that person said that. Maybe I'll go ask them. But I'm not going to listen to my mind make something up because so often it is so wrong and I've ruined my day. I've ruined my week. I've made myself angry or sad or scared. And sometimes, oh, this is when it's great. Sometimes I believe my mind when it tells me something and I take action based upon it. I'm going to go give that person a a, a piece of my mind. I'm going to blow their phone. You're not going to text me? Well, I'm going to text you. I'm going to text you missile after missile after missile. And then you find out that they were in the hospital or something. And I, oh, oh my God. Now you know I'm a neurotic nut job because I listen to that, that nut job that lives in my head. That's the question here. Story number, the, the commitment on story is the recognition that a completely neurotic nut job lives in your head and you better not trust him. You better question the explanations and the stories that it comes up with. You better have the ability to notice your thoughts and your thinking and catch yourself saying, I don't know why he's not. I'm not going to make that assumption. I'm not going to act on that assumption. I'm not going to get my panties in a wad based upon some story I'm making up about why a person's doing something. I'm just going to wait and live in the unknown and I'm going to trust or I'm going to go straight to them and I'm going to say, hey, listen, my mind is making up all kinds of reasons why you're doing this or not doing this. I thought I should ask you. (laughs) Rather than listen to this nut job that's in my head, I thought I would just ask you. So why haven't you texted me? Or what did you mean by that when you said that to me? You know, I don't, I don't want to make something up over here and then make my whole life be built on it. And then I don't like you. So does this make sense? So here's how the commitment reads. It says, I commit to seeing that the opposite of my story is as true or truer than my original story. I recognize that I interpret the world around me and I give my stories meaning. That's what I was just saying. So this commitment says, I commit to seeing that the opposite of what I'm making up in my head. Why is he not calling me? Well, I think it's because of this. He doesn't like you. It could be that the opposite of that is true. Maybe he's not texting you because he does like you. The point is you don't know. So the opposite could be true, right? The opposite of my story could be true or truer than what I'm making up in my head. I recognize that I interpret the world around me like I'm giving it meaning. I'm. They say this, well, it must mean that. They did this, well, it must mean that. In other words, I recognize that I interpret the world around me and I give my stories meaning. In other words, I see that I've got this neurotic nut job that lives in my head and he's or she's interpreting 
and explaining and assuming and judging and has opinions. And it's all being based on your past, which is ridiculous to trust because it's just your limited experience. Right? But the commitment, the way we all do it, is, is read this way. I commit to believing that my stories and the meaning I give them are the truth. <laughs> Isn't that how we live? No, no, no. I, no I, I know I'm making it up, but it's true. Uh, I know I, I, I don't really know what's happening, but I do. I, I do. I know. They don't like me. I commit to believing that my stories and the meaning I give them are the truth. That's the way everyone does it. That's the conventional way. You want to talk about ruining your life? Then believe all your thinking is the truth. In other words, this commitment is the opposite of curiosity, is it not? Curiosity challenges all your beliefs and your stories and your judgments. I don't know. What, what, what? What do I need to know that I don't know? What am I missing? What is unconscious? What is unseen? Right? Curiosity is challenging beliefs and stories and thinking. It's looking for what's not known. But in this commitment, when we're doing it the conventional way, we are damn sure that we're right, that our stories are not stories. It's not a story. You know, men are this. All, all men want one thing. That's not a story. It's the truth. Really? You know all four billion men? You know what every man on the planet really wants? Damn. That's amazing. Well, you know, all women, they want men who are taller than them and, and, and make a lot of money. Wow. You know every woman on the planet? Like that little woman that lives in China in the middle of nowhere, you've talked to her about what she's what she's attracted to in a man? No, you're not right. It's just your stupid opinion. And I have stupid opinions and judgments and stories. You can't stop the mind from doing this, by the way. <laughs> it's what the mind does. But you don't have to listen to it. You can question it. You can notice your mind. Because you are not your mind. Otherwise, you can never tell me what you're thinking. Right? If I say, what are you thinking? You could say, I want thinking about playing golf this afternoon. So there must be two of you, right? There, there's you who notices the thought about golf, right? So you could hear that thought and you could ignore it. I'm not playing golf. Yeah, I had the thought about playing golf and I'm not. I had the thought that they're not calling me because I said something offensive. I don't know what it was, but I think I turned them off and they're not texting me because of that. But you can't stop the mind from doing that. This is just what it does. But you can watch the mind do it and you could say, that's a bizarre thought. You don't know if that's true. Let it go. Ignore that. Maybe you should just call them and ask them instead of sitting over here wondering. You follow me? So in my book, Relationship Bootcamp, I do something kind of fun. In chapter four, I identify a number of, I would call them personas, um, sort of frameworks the mind takes on in our love lives, okay? Um, I think there's four or five of them. And so our, our, minds, our mind functions in these ways, especially in our love lives. Um, 
Let's see. Where, where is it? I got the book open right here. Let's see. What page? See, we're not editing this. We're just doing it right here on the fly. Um, so the first one is what I would call your interpreter. You know how if someone is speaking in French or Russian or something and you don't understand that language, that you have an interpreter with you. And they say it in their language and you're like, what does that mean? And then the person turns to you and interprets what they just said to you, right? Your mind functions like that. It's like you're talking to a man or a woman or you're in some situation, you're dating or something, and something happens and your mind functions as an interpreter. Let let me tell you what that really meant. (laughs) Let me tell you what they were really saying. Let me tell you what their intentions truly are. So you don't know something. You're just experiencing something. You, you, and you're left with the I don't know part and your mind will, let me interpret this for you. Let me tell you what their words really meant. Because like, we've all been in dating situations where someone says something that is sort of bizarre, sort of like, what did that mean? Like that was kind of an innuendo, but was it, was it true? Or Right? And sometimes we're afraid to ask. Because we don't live by candor, okay, frankly. Um, And so your mind's going to interpret it. Oh, I'll tell you what that meant. (laughs) But it's just making it up, okay? So that's one. Another one I call is the secret service agent. Your mind functions as a secret service agent. You know, when the president speaks, right, there's these guys, sometimes women, mostly guys around the president with glasses on, and they're scanning the audience for any potential threat, any potential problem. And if anything scary happens, they're going to take that president and whisk him away to safety. So your mind sometimes functions like that, right? You have the secret service agent. Your mind is watching. What are they saying? What are they doing? Are they threat? Are they, are they going to hurt me? Are they got an agenda? What are they up to? You know, they're, they're watching for anything. They're, they're reading between the lines. You know, they're kind of keeping an eye out on things, right? And the minute you feel scared... You don't know what's going on. We're out of here. I'm not calling them back. I'm I'm not going to ask them any question. I'm 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 just going to run. I'm I'm you know, they're going to whisk me away to safety, right? Can you identify with that one? Okay. <laughs> um how about the psychologist? We mentioned this already. It's like you have a look like an inner psychologist that's going to tell you, "Oh, that person, yeah, I think they got commitment issues." Yeah, well, they told me they're not very close with their family, so you know what that means. They're going to be really difficult to bond with. Or they mentioned they've been divorced three times, so they got to have some real problems. They're going to be, you know, very this or very – it's like you have a psychologist living in your head that is labeling and judging and figuring people out about their emotional health and their ability to this and that. You're just making it up. Right? There might be people that have gone through three divorces and they have learned incredible things about themselves for, from every one of them. And they are now ready to be a great partner because of all the mistakes they've made and all the things they've learned. Right? You might meet someone who's, oh, they're 45, never been married. Oh, your inner psychologist is going to diagnose them with, you know, real, that they must be commitment phobic. Stay away from that. You don't know that. They might have really focused on their career and got it established, and now they are completely available to dive into a relationship 
more than you could ever imagine. The point is, you don't know if your stories are true. The opposite could be just as true. You follow me? And then lastly, we have a, an inner role the mind plays like I, we're, we're a psychic. Your mind's like a psychic. It's going to predict. Oh, they cheated on someone in the past? Well, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater. Really? I cheated on my wife one time. I haven't done it again. It's been 20 years. Once a cheater, always a cheater. You got a psychic, you're going to predict things. Men expect to have men expect to have sex by the third date. And if you don't, they will bolt. Oh, really? You know that. <laughs> Are you psychic? <laughs> right? So, I just give you these I just give you these roles um, to help you understand just how absolutely ridiculous your mind is and how much you should not trust it. I know that sounds weird, but in these kinds of things, you shouldn't be trusting your mind, especially when it's giving you an answer about something you don't know then it's just going to make something up just to make you feel better. That the role of your mind is just to make you feel better. I think Brad Blanton said the role of the mind is the survival of the being. And that survival isn't like survival from the attack of a bear or a mountain lion. It's psychological survival, mostly. Right? So your mind is going to come up with all kinds of reasons and interpretations and stories just to calm you down, just to protect you, just to make you feel better. But it's not based in reality or truth because your, your mind is only aware of the limited experiences you've had. Again, one quick example again. Let's say you've been... You've been in three major relationships and you've been cheated on in all three relationships. Well, when you meet a new person and you're getting to know them, isn't your mind going to be telling you he's going to cheat on you too? Or to watch for certain things? Or if, if your new person you're dating does something or says something that resembles something one of your exes did... Isn't your mind going to say he's going to cheat on you too? You don't know that. <laughs> you, you, you don't know that. But your mind is going to make, is going to come up with that answer because the only information it has to draw from on which to, to make a suggestion as, to you as to what's going on is based on your experience. Just because three guys cheated on you doesn't mean the next guy will. It doesn't mean every guy will. It just means those guys did. So this commitment is really radical. It's to really not trust your own thinking because you begin to recognize, oh my God, my crazy brain makes up stories all the time. Just makes them up. And really, the opposite of what it's making up could be true. But most of us, we're just committed to believing our stories and the meaning we give them, and we see it as the truth. 
So again, this is not right or wrong. I'm just telling you, if you believe your mind and you act on it, you're going to regret it if you haven't seen this already. But if you begin to question your mind, you begin to have the courage to live in the openness of not knowing and then perhaps asking people what's going on rather than coming up with your own story. If you do that, you're, <laughs> you're going to have relationships that last. So I was going to go through one more commitment, but we're already past an hour and I don't want to do that. I want to, these are already long podcasts, but we've talked about feelings. We've talked about communication and we've talked about your inner world of thoughts. So your inner world of feelings and truth and thoughts of what we covered today. And I can't imagine a person not needing some training in these areas. I know I have. I, I continue to need it. So if you have any questions, if you want to work on these things, if you want to argue about them, <laughs> we can do that. If you want to discuss them, if you want to explore them, if you want to learn how to apply them to your life and your life situation with your kids or your friends or your family, the guy you're dating or the woman you're seeing – you know, that's what I'm here for. So please reach out to me at Roy at coachingwithroy.com or text me at 407-687-3387. So the next podcast will be part three. And I promise you, we will get through all five of the final because right now we've gotten through the first five. And the last five are just as powerful as the first five. And so I hope you won't miss it. So until then, take care and make the, da the dating manifesto your way of being in the world. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.